0: what's up sacramento soccer fans and welcome to episode 27 of the number one soccer specific podcast in sacramento the sac town fc podcast part of the beautiful game network and sponsored by roughneck scarves raise your game and check them out at roughneckscarves.com
1: today i'm joined as usual by my co-host danny how are you doing tonight danny I'm doing great, man. Uh, weather has been great. It's uh, actually went uh, took a stroll to the lake today and just kind of check out the got outdoors for a little bit, get some fresh air, and uh, hoping everything is back to normal soon. How's it going? Awesome. All right, guys. Tonight we are joined by two members of the Protagonist Soccer. It started off as a lower tier podcast and have since dabbled into writing about soccer at those very same levels they discussed. Joining us on the McCooney Dreamline. The protagonist soccer is Dan Vaughn and Josh Duder. Thank you, boys, for taking the time to talk to us about soccer and the lower leagues. How are you guys doing?
2: Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having us on. Yeah,
1: I'm glad glad to, to be called on to this. This is fun. Well, we, we hope to have some
0: good questions and comments um, about what's going on with you guys, seeing that you kind of are at a halt right now uh, with what's happened and, and potentially get into uh, a teaser. For our guests and our listeners, because you guys actually covered our, uh, with an article, you covered some of our big guests that we're having this week, which will be kind of cool. So my first question for you guys tonight is, how did you guys come up with the idea to start Protagonist USA? Uh,
2: So Protagonist Soccer, um, I'm taking this question because I was actually there before Josh was there. Um, It was actually a couple of guys, uh, three of us, and there was actually a chat group that we, I say chat group, chat group because I'm from the 90s, so that's how i describe it. But but a, a text chain basically is what it was. And there was maybe eight or nine of us in the text chain texting each other all the time. And all of those people were involved in some level of grassroots soccer, either in a supporters group or uh, as part of like even management or like club management for like grassroots soccer. When I say grassroots soccer, I'm talking like, fourth and fifth division of American soccer. So we're talking way down, mostly amateur stuff. And so that was how the conversation started. And then it became, uh, I I have a background in dabbling in blogging and journalism. And it became this idea of, oh, hey, maybe we should do something a little bit more organized and create something because there's just, there wasn't a lot of people writing about that level of soccer. And at the same time that we did that, we started podcasting. Uh, we actually started multiple podcasts, like all under the same brand. There was a lot of different things, and just before we kicked off the site, uh, two of the guys bailed <laughs> and left me there. Um, and I had already paid the web fee, so I was like, "Well, I guess I'm doing it for a year now." Um, and uh, <laughs> and at that, it was right around that time that that Josh uh, came in as a writer. Um, and it's all volunteers, and it's not it's not no one no one's making money yet. Uh, and, um, and that's how, that's how I was, I got there. That's how I became the quote unquote editor. Um, and, uh, Josh is the assistant editor and I don't know if Josh wants to, wants to give some of his background as far as how he got into it.
3: Yeah. So, um, just prior to protagonist starting, I was working, uh, I, I'm a, I live in Oregon about an hour South of, of Portland. And so by default, I'm a bit of a Timbers fan season ticket holder. And they had just announced T2 a few years ago, which plays in the USL, what is now the USL championship, but at the time was, I think just USL, I don't even know what they, they called the league then. But uh, a, a buddy of mine, he and I were like, well, let's let's start our own thing, because there are three or four good podcasts and people covering the Timbers were like, well, let's cover USL. And so he and I reached out. We were like the first couple of people to start covering USL with a podcast called Play the Kids where we cover T2 um, and I think it eventually ended up on the um, Beautiful Game Network at some point as well. Um, I, I think so. And then after two years of that podcast, um, I think we both had family commitments. And so we decided to, to move on in different directions. And just right around that same time, a guy um, from, I think one of the, the founding three members of Protagonist said, actually recruited me onto um, a podcast called Soccer Down Here. And asked me to, let's talk about, you know, um, NPSL Northwest. So I, at the same time that I quit doing the T2 podcast, I just started looking into and discovering, Hey, there's this whole world of not just like division two soccer, but like division five and division four, three, there's so much more soccer than we know about. And so I was getting into NPSL soccer. And so, uh, was it, was it Ryan Dan that run the that yeah. soccer down here? Yeah, so uh, yeah, so Ryan recruited me into protagonist after doing uh, an, uh, an interview on his on his podcast and said, "Hey man, we're doing this we've got this po- this project kicking off. Um and I know you you do podcasts and I said, well, "Actually, you know, I have a, a degree in literature and creative writing and uh, you know, I was a journalist at Western Oregon University. I used to cover a uh, gridiron hand-egg and write, you know, the weekly the weekly uh, report on, on American football, so I would love to write about soccer. So uh, then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of guys disappeared and Dan's like, hey, (laughs) you want to write a little bit more? (laughs) (laughs) So then Dan and I started doing a podcast as well, often very intermittently, but I think we're, we try to be as frequent as we can, but we both have families and and day jobs. So, and I I think you guys, would know how that goes.
0: Yeah, yeah. for sure. I I get that and Danny.
1: Yeah, I definitely know how that goes. I just got a new job, and I've been working crazy long hours and uh, trying to make the, the the job and the podcast work at the same time. It gets a little rough sometimes. So um, you guys, how, how did you – what drew you guys into the sport of soccer?
2: Well, Josh's origin story is probably much longer than mine, but I'll tell you mine. I grew up in like a baseball family first. Uh, that's I, I grew up in the Midwest. And, uh, I was a Cardinals fan, the late eighties, whenever they were, um, playing well, Vince Coleman was stealing bases before he started throwing firecrackers at kids. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was, it was small ball baseball and I love that stuff. And as I grew up, you know, baseball got ruined for me with the steroid age. Uh, I just, it really burned me out and because what appeals to me about baseball and, And this—it'll lead into what I'm going in next—is—is the history of it. Like I love old-timey baseball stuff. I love—I love that um, connection with the past and the way records stand for you you know—you know—decades. And that—that meant something to me. It mattered to me, and I like that. It felt good. It felt like a connection to the past, and I with the steroid era, I just kind of, I stopped watching sports primarily. And then, um, I was going through a divorce in my mid twenties and, uh, I had a roommate, a, a guy who, who liked soccer a lot. And we watched a lot of Manchester United, uh, cause that was what was on TV at the time. And, uh, I got into that. And then we started, he was a Chelsea fan. So it was a perfect, it was a perfect combination for us to hate each other. And during that era, they were <laughs> re- both really good. Uh, it was mid two thousands. And that was, that was the dominant era for both of those clubs. And, uh, and then we started playing FIFA and I can remember sitting on the front porch back when I was a smoker, don't miss it, but occasionally I do, uh, sitting on the front porch, smoking a cigarette, playing, playing with my video game through the front door, him laying on the couch, playing just season after season of FIFA. And, that's how I got into the sport. Like a lot of people would love to talk. I mean, and Josh will, I'm sure talk about his background of playing and stuff. I never played. I've never been in any sort of shape to play soccer. I've always been the shape to sit in the stands and watch (laughs) or to write about it. (laughs) And so it's, I always laugh when, when I'm around, around the game, around supporters groups here in El Paso, where I'm living, uh, the locomotive uh, eighth notch and their supporters groups they do these kick these these pickup games they're like hey you should come out and play and i'm like you don't know me very well i i don't know how i hit x and oh i don't know how to actually play anything uh so you know my introduction to the sport is really uh discovering a game that also had a long history and also had like passion that existed through generations and that really appealed to me um and then Uh, And and again, we don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to talk forever. I usually will. Um, But if you connect that then with the, um, the desire to watch your country win, which I also do, uh, I love the U.S. men's national team. And it, and Josh will even tell you, like, that's more my club than any club is. I don't, I, I don't really have passion for a specific club. I love the game and I'll watch it and, and tend to typically have some knowledge of almost every club. But when it comes to the US men's national team or even the US women's national team, easier to watch them and because they're a lot better. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch my nation also compete and seeing like all the different kinds of people that come together and play. So that's how I got into the sport. It was, Mostly as a rediscovering a sport with some history and connecting to that. And then, of course, combining video games in. And then just a, a dash of jingoistic sports supporting. And then there you go. And now that's, that's who I am. I'm going to have to awesome. use a dictionary for that word. I have not heard that it's a, word.
3: It's a good it's word.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's a good word. <laughs> uh,
3: my story, I'll try to keep it as <laughs> succinct as I can.
2: Because there's, I've already talked for two hours
3: uh, well there's three there's, hours
2: later, and yeah. the sun's coming up back here on the West coast
3: <laughs> there's three there's three threads that have led me to where I am right right now, so those three threads are uh, an entrepreneurial spirit right um, a sense of um, academic interest right, and then a third one is an athletic interest and so to uh to the athletic interest um I was a, I'm a kid of the 80s and 90s, so I'm a little bit older than Dan and I played my, I, my parents got married when I was four and divorced when I was eight, right And so my babysitter was AYSO soccer. Um, I would get, I would get out of school just in time to get to soccer practice and then when that soccer practice was over, I literally walked across the street to the park. And I played in the police athletic league. So I did AYSO for an hour every day, you know, and then I did PAL soccer for an hour every day. I did two hours of soccer, like in my mind, just how I remember it from age like five until maybe like 12. I was on like two different um, youth organization soccer teams constantly playing every single season, Um, played middle school soccer, played high school soccer. I was varsity captain uh, for three years in high school and thought I literally thought I was like the shit. Right. I I was all state select in California at left back. I played at the same time as um, some of the guys that ended up in major league soccer in their first season. And I uh, went to try out for the San Jose clash and uh, I did not make it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't make the team. And this is the first like major disappointment that I had had trying out for anything. I'd always made the team because I'm a hundred percent hustle. Right. I would not I always known enough about soccer that like, I, I knew what every coach meant and where they wanted me to be. And I, I tried hard enough that I could always get to that spot if the coach needed me to be there. But it was that, that was the first moment where I go, Oh shit, there's a higher level, right? This isn't just about hustle, but this is about soccer intellect. This is about, uh, I may have always played in those, those, those free or those, uh, those youth leagues, but I never played club soccer. Right. So I didn't, I never got into the pay to play program. I didn't have that background and I didn't have that knowledge. So I did not make, I didn't make it to the highest level. Um, but I did play um, um, junior college soccer at De Anza college for a little bit. And then I joined the Marine Corps and I played for the uh, Marine Corps team down at Camp Pendleton and then got transferred uh, up to, up to Portland um, to a combat engineers unit that doesn't have a base. So they have a base, but there's no barracks, there's no chow hall. So with those elements missing from their base, you sort of live out in Portland in an apartment with everybody else and you get lunch and dinner, just like everybody else does. You just work a nine to five on the small military base up in Portland and you get ready to train reservists. Through that process, I also had free time to work civilian jobs. And one of those jobs was working at what is now portland what was portland civic stadium was now providence park with the timbers play. but i worked there um as sort of like the beer i would order the beer and work on the kegs uh, and so i have an intimate knowledge of that stadium but oftentimes would go out and play like pickup soccer um you know i would walk home and play pickup soccer on the campus of portland state university with guys who are like oh yeah i'm playing for this you know, this, uh, a league team called the Timbers or it's, you know, it was sort of like 2000, 2001 when the Timbers started coming back from, you know, they were resurrected from their death from NASL soccer. And you saw this, these, these guys playing soccer. I was just playing soccer with these guys and, and, uh, and and I didn't really put one-on-one together as the Timbers started to grow. And so I just sort of like always played it. And then I was there at the inception of the Timbers, kind of coming back back to life before Major League Soccer. And, uh, and just as that organization grew into what it is now, I fell in love with, with the Timbers, so even though I'm from San Jose originally. Like, I don't have any emotion towards the the Quakes. Um, you know, I could care less what they do. And it's like I just sort of was reborn with the Timbers as this interest in soccer grew. But uh, then I went to school and learned how to write and, and cover sports. And I just sort of always wanted to do what I'm doing now. Um, it'd be nice to get paid for it, right, Dan? But <laughs> but it's a hell of a lot of fun to cover soccer. And um, sometimes in our own little like Twitter bubble, you know, in our echo chamber, we feel like there's a lot of people doing what we do. But if you compare that to the amount of people that cover baseball, basketball, football, there's not a lot of people that cover soccer, and especially at our level. So we we are really on intimate terms with the owners of NPSL teams, they will text us. They, they, they will text us at one in the morning. I didn't like that article, man. <laughs> Can you retract that piece? They, they, you know, they'll call us, you know, at 6 a.m. on a Monday and say, oh, you know what? You know, I told you, I gave you this quote. Can you change that quote before you run it? You know, and and that is that level of intimacy with ownership at, at, at Grassroots Soccer, oh, dude, it's the best.
0: That's important, right? Yeah. If you think about it, if they have that faith in you and that they're willing to work with you on, on multiple levels, it's awesome. I mean, to have that ability to have an owner say, Hey, look, this was, this was crap, right? I don't agree with it. And you could say, well, I'm telling the story. We can, we can fix it a little bit to, you know, help you, but that's the, that's the story. That's what we have. So that kind of leads us into the next question. Um, about community, right? How important is community to the game we love?
2: I, I feel like I always start, but I'm going to anyway, because technically I'm the host of our podcast and Josh is a co-host. So it only seems fair that I keep talking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I That's mean, interesting because we're the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, th- this is what, I, what I'd say to that idea. Um, I think that uh, the game of soccer is um, – it can be what you want it to be, right? Uh, we look at leagues that are dominated by moneyed interest and the clubs are run like corporations and the players are traded or, or cut or or, or, or um, we sign them regardless of what we think of their character because it's about winning. And that's the case in a, in a lot of leagues. Um, it, it comes down to uh, what the vision is for those clubs. And I think that particularly the, the lower down the, the pyramid you go, uh, the more it becomes, the, that community aspect becomes more and more important to the long-term success. Because I do think that if, if, if I'm Manchester United or if I'm DC United for that matter, um, I, can, I can run my club how I want and there's going to be a certain level of interest no matter what. And sure, it would be great if, if my fans love me, but I know they're going to come anyway, and it may be a low number, but I'll still get a number. Of course, in Manchester United City, they'll, in Manchester United's case, they'll expect those fans to be sold out, and they'll expect to sell kits. DC United case, they'll they'll expect a certain level to show up, so that community connection is only so is only so necessary. But when you get down to the level that even it, you know, you you, you step down to USL. And then you go down a step from to Tendmisa or to. Uh, again, the leagues that we cover in the NPSL and the UPSL, and then you go even more local down to what we're talking about city leagues uh, or or really tight regional leagues. I think of like Maryland Majors, uh, where Christos FC comes out of, or or you can talk about the Bay State Soccer League where Providence plays in. Those are leagues that are really strong in their own regions, but at those levels, the community is so much more important because you know your you you may your your club may not survive a single season where people stop showing up for your matches or or stop buying kits or stop or stop supporting you online like your your club is existing from year to year and when you exist that way you have to find ways to connect with community and for those supporters I'll tell you the, the the most fun clubs are those clubs that connect with their supporters in real ways and activate that community. Uh, you know, I could think of clubs like MPLS city or Detroit city FC. Um, these are, and of course Detroit city went pro just, just this last last season, but these are clubs that have had long runs of and I say long in, in our in our in, in our level of coverage We're talking five or six years of a successful run for a club but these are clubs that have found ways to connect with their fans in a real way and build a community base that's going to support that club no matter what and that support will be loud it's going to be sincere and it's going to be vocal about about their opinions of the club and what that club is doing and that's so important it's so vital and it, some level what Josh and I do with protagonists is also part of that it's because we're not we don't make a fortune doing what we do we write about the clubs in the level that we that we're interested in and good or bad how we see what the clubs are doing that is a that is a communal effort to offer a journalistic view of a sport at a particular level and and I think personally that even a critical view is better than no view at all. A critical view can inspire change and encourage growth, and l- point out things that could be fixed for future for future reference for clubs. And that's all of that's all a good thing. That's all part of community. Um, whether or not those clubs and leagues love it, I mean, we recently uh, we recently got access to an email that a, a, that a, a league was sending around, and we published it. Now, they didn't. They didn't like that very much, and and I we did get some black for that. But for us, it felt it felt right to do that. It was the journalistic approach that we take at, at that. We knew we could confirm with the source that it was the real deal, and so we ran it. And that's the way that a real a real website, a real journalistic outlet should run. And you know how the league sees it at some level is. You know, fuck it. That's the way it's got to be. You you don't, I'm sorry. You don't like that. That's not the way this, this relationship works. Sorry, Josh. I I, uh, hope I (laughs) I hope I said everything you were thinking, everything.
3: Well, but between the time you start and the time you finish, I actually forget oftentimes what I want to say. And so I come across sounding like a dud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's all my fault, by the way. I
3: I think I'm going to look at, uh, I'm going to look at community. There's, there's sort of a, a two sides of the same coin. Uh, we're two different communities that work um, in they interact with each other at at a lower at a lower league soccer level. Um, and I'm gonna start by talking about the Timbers, and it's just you know, there's oftentimes that's just the 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 root of my experience is just being a, a fan up here of of soccer in in the Portland area and um, being a member of the Timbers Army. And so last year you had the Major League Soccer band the iron front as a symbol of of political action or the threat of violence from their stadiums. Um, The banning of the iron front symbol became incredibly problematic for the Portland Timbers organization because they, they utilize the symbolism of the Timbers army as a, as a marketing resource. And so they, they were catching shit on, on, on both sides of this from the Timbers army army community we're saying you can't simultaneously use us as a marketing ploy, right? And then kick us out of the stadium. Like that doesn't work. Um, and so a, a lot of, I would say there were thousands of Timbers army or just regular Timbers fan, not all the number Timbers army, but there were a lot of fans that were really upset with that, that, that course of action taken by the, by major league soccer. And then, you know, um, uh, double downed on by both the sounders and the timbers um, as a result of that just at that time I had kicked off this brand new this campaign to start a brand new soccer team of my own um, I just founded in the last six months AC Shehalem Valley which is effectively a third or a fourth division women's soccer team here in um, in a regional league in the Pacific Northwest and I started it out of a, out of a passion for soccer and and a a kind of a calling to create something wonderful for my local community. Um, But they, you know, I had literally, I mean, I was a week into this campaign of, of just starting showing off the badge and what we were about. And someone had asked, well, if we show up to your game, can we wave the flag? Well, when you only have 10 fans, (laughs) You're put on the spot right away. Okay, well, politically, I wasn't I wasn't planning on becoming a, a, a political organization, but now this is a very politically charged conversation in Twitter, which can blow up in your face really fast. So I decided to go with my gut and say, well, okay, yeah, if you show up, you can wave whatever flag you want to, you know. If if that is a if that is a flag, well, I should I have to rethink the way I said that. No, you could not show up with a swastika, right? No, you couldn't show up with a Confederate flag. No. I think under normal, any circumstances, I would have disallowed that. Conversely, because of the meaning of the Iron Front. So the the community rallied around that concept. So I went from having 10 people that I knew, my local community, my personal community, like Dan and like my wife and then eight other people. (laughs) that are like, yeah, this is cool to immediately having almost 300 followers in just a matter of weeks because the community was so upset with the way that their their big-time soccer was handling a situation that they turned to something that they felt they were closer to because we weren't as big. We didn't represent a corporate aspect of soccer. So that, that community helped supercharge one side of my brand-new soccer team. The other side of that coin that I had mentioned is the the local soccer community? So, insofar as there is a fan community, there's also all your local coaches. There's your youth organizations, and believe me, there's an incredible amount of uh, politics in between between all those youth organizations. You know, in, in a city uh, like like Portland, we there are at least 12, 15 separate youth organizations that are pay to play organizations. They all have different schemes, they all have different plans and makes and models, but they are competing for little kids on the field. Right. And so when you introduce a new product, you know, you have to assure them, I'm not competing for your kids. I'm not trying to get your kids to come and play soccer, you know, for my youth program that I'm, so I had to be very clear that I wasn't establishing a youth program. Um, in turn, Uh, I was able to start recruiting coaches and players because I was, I was so very clear about the program. So that, that youth soccer community, that coaching community, that college athlete community, um, that really helped set up, you know, that grassroots soccer team. And so that's how a lot of teams around the country operate is, is sort of surfing in between the fan community and the local soccer community.
0: All right, Well, we we, we are now joined by um, our other co-host, Luis, who, was taking a little bit of a nap after uh, some eating some chicken. I think that was what you were saying, Luis.
4: Yeah, yeah, I had some some chicken for lunch, and I guess it was a whole lot that you know knocked me out. But yeah, you know, c- glad to be back back on here, and you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, to be able to to talk about uh, these these lower leagues uh, with uh, you guys, Dan and Josh. I mean, you know, so much of our sport revolves around these uh, lower leagues that you know not a lot of people really. Cover them, and not a lot of people really think about them. And um, you guys were talking about, you know, some of the, the lower leagues. You know, I, I could think of the clubs around here. Uh, we have a MPSL club and an Academica soccer club, which plays out of Churlock. Um, I haven't had the chance to to go to one of their games, but you know, over the last couple of years, they've been ramping up their uh, marketing. In fact. I believe it was like last year, maybe two years ago, that they started um, a supporters group too. Calling themselves the Two Hundred Nine Brigade, and it it's just a whole different atmosphere there at their games. It seems like, and you know, to see that team starting to really grow more because that that team's been around since like the seventies. But you know, they recently joined MPSL. But to see them, you know, like be stuck, you know, a year without play after they you know canceled the MPSL is. It's sad, too. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, if we look at the NorCal Premier League uh, here in Modesto, where, where I'm from, we have uh, Ajax United, super competitive team, widely known in the Central Valley, too. You know, every, anyone who plays soccer has probably gone through that program. And, you know, to see that uncertainty of what can happen, you know, due to these suspensions is it's quite sad. But I, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, how do you guys think that this recent suspension of the sport is going to continue to affect these lower leagues?
2: I think that, uh, you know, any time you see this massive sort of disruption, you're going to have some clubs that don't make it back afterwards. And I, I think that particularly in, in the level that we're talking about here, fourth, fifth division, it really comes down to how the clubs are structured, what the finances of the ownership group are, uh, because that that's really what it comes down to. With these clubs, you know, I know that sounds you know whatever maybe it's it's it sounds foreign to some people, but like with these clubs, sometimes it comes down to a single person who's willing to fork out the money to rent the fields and to pay for the kits and to pay for the league fees. And in, in most cases, that is the case. And yes, they're going to look for funding from, from sponsors and they're going to try to sell kits and they're going to try to sell tickets. And those clubs that have strong supporters groups uh, will, have a better chance at selling tickets, but the reality is it comes down to usually just a single person or a single family who's willing to pay for this um, upfront and then try to recoup as the season goes on. I've talked to many NPSL owners that describe their situation as a good year is a year that they break even. And that is the truth. That's, That's really how it is at this level. So when you have an entire season wiped out, It really comes down to how is your club structured? For a club that draws well, uh, and there are not a lot of them in the NPSL, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend most clubs in the NPSL are drawing less than 200 people most clubs and many clubs are drawing less than a hundred people at those matches. So the box office gate is not something that they're as concerned about as maybe you would be in a higher league where you might expect thousands and thousands of people to show up to your matches. Uh, But that also means that, They're looking for every place where they can make money. They're trying to make money. And so those 150, 200 tickets that they sell, that is part of the calculation that goes into it. I would say that we will see a lot of clubs fail. Uh, That's just the truth um, because the people that fund these clubs also lose jobs. They also will have, you know, their businesses may go under or they may not have the kind of year that they were hoping to have to pay to afford what for some people's discretionary income, you know, for some of these owners, funding a soccer club is something that they enjoy doing and it's where they spend their extra cash. But if you suddenly don't have as much extra cash, well then maybe it doesn't make sense to come back. It's why, in my opinion, and this is a soapbox issue for me, so I'm gonna go on it for a second, but it's why these lower leagues need to return the league fees. Most of the league fees have already been paid. It is absolutely vital that they return those league fees that have been paid in uh, back to them. Uh, that way, that they can make a real decision on what, where they go and what direction they go with the club. In some in some cases, we're talking about five or ten thousand dollars. But five or ten thousand dollars it's a tremendous amount for a small club that's surviving year to year. Um, I, I just. I I will also tell you that for the leagues that go under, there will be five that come back. It always happens that way. There's always someone who's willing to take a shot and put together another club. So I, I, we may the names may change, the faces may change, the players will probably be the same. But we I think that you'll see some clubs exit and some clubs come back in because that that's just how it is in grassroots soccer.
4: Yeah. So let me ask you guys too. With the we talked about this, you know, not too long ago too about the MPSL canceling their season. Do you guys think that they canceled it early, or as you know, you're talking, Dan, uh, about all these reasons and you know what might happen to some of these teams? Do you think it was the right move on on their part to do it so early? Yeah, uh,
3: yeah. Uh, I'll take that. Um, there is a sense, I think, sometimes of of cautious optimism, and so people will see something like. A natural disaster, let's say that there was a hurricane. Okay. And so then, after something like a hurricane, FEMA and uh, federal and and, and state officials can give you an estimate. Okay. Well, this natural disaster occurred. We can anticipate a return to normal activity by X date. And I would say 99% of the time, those federal or state officials are probably right. You can return to a state of normalcy because the climate is consistent and you can anticipate what that climate how that climate's going to behave. We know all across the country give or take a range of temperatures, the weather's pretty nice from May, June, July, August, right? Soccer can be played pretty much everywhere all across the country. But something like a pandemic is totally different than a natural disaster that we're used to. We you see these leagues that are still hesitant to shut down, um, and I think that they're—I think that they're overly optimistic that soccer will return in the next month or two. I think when, when you start looking around the world at how other world leagues are reacting, you've got the FA in England who have basically said every league except for the Premier League, because we—that one's worth so much money—we're sitting on that one, but every other league, all the way down to the pub leagues, canceled. No promotions, no relegations, right? And and all around the world, they're canceling leagues, they're postponing international tournaments. I don't think that it's irresponsible to say, you know what? Let's just let's pull the plug on this season, um, because even though some of these lower league teams in in the United States live and die by those gate receipts, there's there's other there's a natural turnover that, that Dan alluded to every year between the NPSL and the UPSL between those two leagues alone, there's over 300 teams across the country. And every year between those two leagues alone, we're not talking regional leagues. We're not talking, we're not talking state leagues or local leagues, but just NPSL and UPSL 30 teams die. Go look at Wikipedia and and it'll show you 12, 15 teams from the NPSL died this year. 12, 15 teams from UPSL died this year. But every year, 12 or 15 teams come back to both leagues. Um, this this is going to be more devastating than the normal state. You're going to see 25 teams disappear. You might see 30 teams disappear from the league because the state of their finances um, is is not as deeply affected by the, the the gate, You know, not as deeply affected by selling tickets as it is, just like I'll echo what Dan said, That you'll see you know these teams will suffer um, because the guy that owned the team you know he ran you know three four franchises of of a a chain restaurant and those restaurants were all closed down for six months um but on the other hand what happens is if you tell if you say you know what mpsl we're going to cancel the league ahead of time that gives that team owner um one an opportunity to cease all operational expenses so if you know if you know far enough in advance that you don't need extra you don't you know you might still have 10 shirts left over from last year don't order 20 more yeah you don't have to book out the hotels you don't have to worry about renting the buses you don't have to worry about uh you know offsetting fuel costs for your players uh all of those peripheral expenses those don't exist right so Whereas you can imagine they might be losing money. They don't need to rent the field. They don't need to rent the stadium for their games. They don't need to rent the field for practices. Um, so well, there's money not spent. There's money not earned. So some of these teams are going to be break-even. Some of them are LLCs. Some of them are S-Corps. Some of them are just a soccer coach who said, hey, I've got an idea. I want to start a team. you know, And they're not necessarily business savvy. And then some businesses, Uh, or some of these organizations are set up as nonprofit organizations. Um, And so, you know, sometimes they'll already have received their money for the year. Say if you've got a primary sponsor, they, they dipped in, gave you $5,000 for 20, for 2020 season. Oh, 2020 season got canceled. I'm a nonprofit organization. That money can sit in my bank indefinitely and I'm not going to get taxed on it. So guess what? 2020, 2020 is next. 2021 I'm set. I've still got 5,000 in my bank, you know, as long as you can work that contract. So there are going to be teams that live. So there are going to be teams that die and they're going to be teams that, you know, um, are, you know, going to be resurrected. So it'll be interesting to see.
2: Josh is a smart guy. Second smartest guy <laughs> in our podcast, but smart. Um, I, I wanted to say, I wanted to sort of build on that a little bit, which is that, you know, soccer uh, at any level, and and it just like every other sport is is part of the overall economy, and what people have time to focus on or spend money on is going to change, especially when you know hell six million people are filing for unemployment. You know it's 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 like we live in really like desperate times for a lot of people and certainly some of those people are soccer fans certainly some of those people would buy a kit or buy a soccer or 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 buy a ticket to a soccer match and those people may decide this year is not going to be their year and it's going to be a rough time i think it's going to be a rough time for everyone for a lot of reasons but it's also going to be uh, a, a thing that we recover from because we always recover from things. And so it's just, it's, I think that uh, one awesome thing on a podcast I recently recorded, uh, a, a guy was talking about, he's a kit manufacturer or designer and uh, Robbie Spuckler from Icarus. I might as well plug him. He's fantastic. Uh, but he was talking about, how if you want to do a rebrand, now is a great time to do a rebrand because you got nothing going on. You don't have to have these kits out for another year. We can work on them and get them perfect and you're going to look fantastic. That's one perspective to have. Like you you can find the silver lining in whatever cloud you want. And I think that's that's for all of us now to do.
4: Yeah, I, I guess the the question about um, how fast a leak and a, league in a career, career really goes down to, you know, the fans and, and how how fast they can recover from this too. You know, uh, I was reading an article recently on, uh, and I think it noted something like around like 70 something percent um, of fans uh, said that they wouldn't go out to like any sporting event. If like there was no vaccine, you know, if people were just, you know, if they just opened everything, but people would still, you know, not not go if there wasn't any guarantee, you know, that if they catch this, that, you know, they're going to be fine. So You know, that's going to be another thing, too, It's with a lot of these leagues that, you know, are still trying to move forward, like possibly, you know, USL still continuing is, you know, how many fans are we going to see at each game? Like, are we still going to see, like, people go to games or are we just going to see, like, half-empty stadiums, you know, like that? Well,
2: I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder for El Paso Locomotive. Uh, I bought three tickets for my family this year, which probably is why the pandemic happened. Um, but uh, I, I, I've joked that I purchased a Liverpool kit and I'm a, I really don't care much for them, but it was on sale and I can't resist a kit if it's on sale. And I i have told that that this is the reason why the pandemic happened because it had to stop Liverpool from winning, um, winning the cup this year, but uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I have tickets. I have three tickets, my, my wife and my child, uh, for the locomotive match. And I'm telling you, I I don't, I would not go until I was 100% confident that it was safe to go. You know, it's one thing whenever you go to uh, a lower league match, when there's, you know, 50 people in the stands, you can still do social distancing. But when I stand in the end behind behind the net with the rest of eighth notch, like they're right up next to me. And so it becomes a much more intimate situation where I better hope we're safe. And that certainly is in the back of my head right now. And if they said, if they said they were going to start kicking off matches next week, I'm not sure I'd be there. Yeah,
4: no, I, I, same here too. I mean, I, I I sit over in a Tower Battalion, you know, supporters group section two and yeah, I mean, when you're that close to so many people, it makes you wonder. So, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, how many people make it out to games and and what's people's mentality and you know, even if there's a, a vaccine too, you know, I think people are gonna be even more cautious now, um, regardless of that too. So, yeah, I mean, we're gonna be in for for a new like image in live sports.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be a whole new experience. I think one of the workarounds be. If, so Dan you mentioned that you you one of the things that draws you to soccer or sport in general is sort of the history of it and then when you have something as catastrophic as a pandemic that sets a, a whole season it sidelines the whole season it's sort of like it sort of derails the history of soccer and so we almost need these teams to come back online we we can't demand it it'd be irresponsible for the fans. But if if or when we start to see testing become um, more readily available and reliable information about testing, then do we say, okay, it's safe for empty empty stands. Um, if these players can, have been tested for antibodies and we all know they've either had it or they or they or they won't catch it or they're asymptomatic of it or whatever the case may be, if it's safe for the play to return, but we don't get the fans in the stadium, there are workarounds. So, uh, the my team, AC Sheehan Valley, that I have just started running this year, um, we unfortunately canceled our season. But one of the programs I was working with was a guy that runs a uh, uh, Oregon Sports Beat, and for five hundred dollars, um, which you know that's that's for five hundred dollars, he'll come out with a, a a whole crew and he'll set up cameras all around the stadium and film it, um, and he can stream it from his own website, or you can stream it straight to MyKuju, uh, And so we can look at something like my MyKuju, mykujucom and say, how can they be the savior of soccer or an, a similar organization that can say, okay, we've got these empty stands, but do we still have fans? And if you were a season ticket holder, would you pay, would you, could, would you not ask for a refund on your season tickets? If they took that money and instead invested it on Filming the team play matches that you could watch stream. Sure, it's not the same experience, but the history and the records keep going. Your football season, your soccer season continues. Your team gets to keep playing. Your your season ticket money gets to keep them in operation, and you still get soccer. You just have to watch it from your computer or your phone. So some fans will opt in. Some fans will, will opt out and say it's a live experience only. But it, it is a possible workaround. To salvage a season, if if we get to August or you know August September, and leagues like UPSL, they can start up again. Um, but you know, not all, not every league will have that same that same option.
4: Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it, it would be kind of complicated too. I mean, I'm thinking like what Dan was saying. He bought three season tickets, and yeah, you, you know, someone else over here that may have just bought one, and they're technically they're kind of getting the same product, you know, because they would be getting the same live stream. So uh, I think anyone who maybe purchased you know more than one season ticket package would probably not want to move forward you know or, or maybe the team would probably refund the cost of the other two and then you know just uh charge you just the cost of one if, if we went with that but I mean that that would be an alternative uh, I don't see I don't see that as maybe not, not happening too. I mean we talked about it here before but um I mean I'm a believer that like once this thing gets cleared up, they're probably going to play at least a month or two closed door. And this might be, you know, the way that you kind of go around uh, pleasing all the season ticket fans is, you know, you give them that option and see who sticks
2: around. Yeah. I think there's some questions and I think you you were hinting at this, but that there may be even societal changes that we don't know as far as how this shapes, how people see crowds and how willing they are to be around crowds. Um, I know that uh, they talked about after the Spanish flu, uh, which was in the 1918s and killed hundreds of thousands of people that, that there, it took multiple years before people got back to quote unquote normal as far as how they interacted with people. And so we, I I don't know if that same thing is going to happen here. Probably depends on where you are in the country and how bad, how bad your area gets hit. But, you know, I could see, I mean, we're already seeing some of the changes that are happening in New York and on the East Coast. These are places where, where I mean, things are really bad right now. And it's changing traffic patterns. It's changing environmental, um, how, how the environment is. It's changing all, all these things that have been the same for really hundreds of years well I maybe mean, hundreds of years but at least decades and so it's it's no it, we should probably be prepared for what the new normal is when this is all over whatever it is if it's less trust in the government if it's um, how we f- physically interact with each other what what do we expect of personal space um, how big is too big of a crowd all of those things might change because our perceptions are shaped by what we're dealing with right now yeah, definitely. So so
1: what do you guys think uh, our current situation will do to the momentum of women's soccer? You should ask an owner
2: of a women's club. Yeah, I was on mute. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> will.
0: We will be doing that uh, this week, actually. So that will be a good conversation yeah. to
3: have with her. Yeah. Well, and uh, additionally, I, I AC Shea Valley, the club that I run, is a women's team. Um, and I founded it as a nonprofit. That's why I kind of chimed in on, how nonprofits are are organized. Um so I, I think it's interesting uh, and, and I and I can't wait to listen to your next episode with your with your next guest but um from the third slash fourth division perspective of regional women's soccer um you know we I just set this thing up I just I just had a coach appointed I just had um 30 women who paid a registration fee to play soccer for my organization I just refunded 30 women their $75 registration fee. You know, so my bank was was full and then my bank account was, you know, put all that money back into their pockets. I couldn't keep that money. There was no way I could keep that money. And as Dan alluded to, that's what leagues should be doing as well. The league that I that we joined, the Northwest Premier League, they they sort of took an early action on this as well. They said, okay. We're not even going to ask for that money right now until we know what we're going to do. So they had no money to refund when we unanimously voted um, You know, via a conference call. We all voted to, to cancel the season. Reluctantly, none of us want to do that, but um, it's the right thing to do for the players. It's the right thing to do for the volunteer coaches and, and people that show up and, and just want to watch their girlfriend or their best friend or their daughter play soccer. Um, it's the right move is to cancel the season uh, out of concern for health and safety. Insofar uh, as momentum is concerned, uh, you know, I, I, um, I've always been interested in women's soccer. I had a poster of Mia Hamm up on my, um, up on my wall right next to my Alexi Lawless poster and my Eric Winalda poster. Um, so I had, I would always, always viewed women's soccer on equal footing and recently read, um. it, uh, Caitlin Mur- Murray's book, you know, um, and just was blown away at the misogyny behind their, their struggle for relevancy. And they fought so hard for decades at this point to get women's soccer, even to where it is now. And, and I started my team right on, right on the heels of them winning the world cup once again and thought what an amazing amount of momentum that I could carry through with this team. I was going to do it anyway. Uh, I'm setting it up as a nonprofit organization with uh, the coffee, with it set up in the bylaws that I can be, I can be voted out by a majority of owners as the president. And, and I, my hope is that a woman will step into my shoes and, and take over the position and run the club um, for women in the community as, as a, as a way to improve their, you know, their, physical wellness in the community, but how does that affect the momentum of soccer is that you'll see the girls, the girls that were going to come to the game as, as, um, the ball girls or the girls that were going to come to the game to be the mascot or the, you know, the girls that were going to, you know, they just got done with their Saturday morning soccer game. And they were going to come out and watch, uh, this semi-professional women's soccer team play soccer, because I'm giving every kid in the community a free ticket. If you're 17 or under, you're in for free. And my hope was to get 700 kids in that stadium, um, and have them all watch soccer. And I wanted little boys to watch women play soccer and just see that—not it, it, to make a point of it, just so that they could visually take it in and be like, "Well, women play soccer as well, right? Men do, women do, equally." But for little girls to look at it and think, "Okay, this is something to aspire to," at the at the lowest level, at that at that little girl level, their spring season is gone. They can't play. AYSO soccer they can't play rec you know rec league soccer and they're not going to see a uh, local women's soccer like my own they're not going to see uh you know they're not going to see the the thorns or they're not going to see the dash down in houston they're not going to see the red stars in, in chicago they're not going to see these heroes of the world cup play this this year either um i don't know if that will slow women's soccer down you know, if it will knock it back a couple of years, but you, you'll, you know, maybe ticket sales will be slow next year. I don't know. But it's the game is so strong right now that my hope is that despite the leagues having to shut down for one summer, next year, hopefully it's business as usual.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, I've seen rumors of concerts not starting until fall or August of next year. And so my curiosity is, is what does that do for sports? Because it's still a concert as a mass gathering. Do they, do they potentially move sports to not begin until next summer? There's a lot of things I have questioning. And what does that do? Cause women right now are, are the hottest ticket in this, in, in the United States for many reasons, right? We can look at the lawsuit. We can look at the winning of the world cup. The she believes cup, um, they've been on a tear and it's, it's promoted the game to such a high level right now. I think at the highest that it's been in in years. So I would be curious to see what, what this does to that momentum. And that was why Danny had uh, asked that question to begin with is because they've had such a good, what four, five year period, perhaps that you women's soccer in America has started to, to get more, Involvement, Yes, it's always had a very large contingency, a very large involvement, but I think we've seen more involvement over the last few years as a result of, of their progress in World Cups and She Believes Cups and just the name, right, the brand that they are and they, they have created.
2: Look, I think what it comes down to with women's soccer, particularly women's professional soccer, is the powers that be respecting it and investing in it the way they've invested and respected the men's game because we've watched MLS struggle for the many of the 20 years, that 25 years that they've existed trying to survive. And at no point did anyone question the desire to grow the game or to invest money in this league or to support them through that. No one questioned it. But when the, with the women's game with the NWSL, they're, they're fighting for TV contracts. They're fighting for advertisers. They're constantly doing like doing these things, jumping through hoops that no one else has to. And what it comes down to is until that changes, it doesn't matter what momentum you have, it's about executives and people with money deciding to invest in the league the way they choose to invest in MLS. And I'm not arguing that you know, money makes every problem disappear, but it makes a lot of them disappear. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, getting these women into stadiums and uh, onto fields that are equal to the talent that they're playing with. I mean, the NWSL, because of the U.S. Women's National Team, is one of the greatest women's leagues in the world right now, probably is the greatest league in the world right now. So, why don't we invest in that why why do we have the boston breakers going out of business why do we have why why are these things happening when it would just take some investment and some desire to grow this league either from the federation or from an investor from the outside but instead women are still fighting this fight and i mean i know i'm 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 doing my thing my soapbox thing but it comes down to when is that going to change because that's the serious issue here yes the pandemic could stunt this growth it could stop the growth in men's soccer, too. We know this. Like, we don't know how that's going to affect. But the women's game in particular needs champions with money to be willing to invest in this league the way that it deserves. And until that happens, I don't think the pandemic or any other problem is what's holding this league back or, or the sport. It comes down to the money. I think
3: another aspect, another
2: aspect to um,
3: what drives Major League Soccer and the growth and the interest in soccer um, in the United States is um, sort of like this, this replication, right? So people flock to major league soccer and these large stadiums, because it's replicating an experience they've seen on television. And so you also see that in the supporters groups, you see that they want to be like the Bada Brava, you know, down there. In so they, they copy and replicate those chants and they they throw streamers and they they um, pop smoke and they bang drums. And there's this whole fan replication um, at the highest level because that's where you're going to get those international players. And, and Major League Soccer has done a good job of bringing in players from all around the globe. Um, and so that's what drives that now. Even though it's been a 25-year struggle, um, there is a sense of popularity with it now because they've done a good job of replicating the world's game and, and giving it you know, giving it some relevance to those particular cities that, that host the team where, when, where will we see like women's soccer gain that relevance when the U S since, you know, the inception of the, of the women's uh, women's team and the success of the women's national team, the U S has sort of been the home of women's soccer in the, the spiritual home of women's soccer globally. And so we don't have, that experience to replicate for women's soccer, whereas the rest of the world has begun to replicate, you know, the way women's soccer has been as treated. So, so what gave those women the level of success that they've achieved was, um, was investment was hard work, you know, was um, determination. And so you starting, you're starting to see that in, in Australia with their women's league and you're starting to see that in England, the, the, the women's, I don't know what the, their acronym is, but the women's version of the Premier League in 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 England, um, they're buying our players, right? Because there is now investment and there is an interest. They said, okay, they've turned they've turned the page. We're not going to replicate what's happening in the United States. We're going to replicate what's already happened here in England, and so that's why that those leagues are starting to take off because they've they've switched gears on what they're replicating. Um, I I don't know how the pandemic is going to change that, that momentum. Um, but I don't see our league as being the best in the world, perhaps when this all comes back, um, it might be that team in Eng- or that league in England, um, just because of that, that process of, of replicating what they've already known and the success they've had with the men's league.
0: That's fair. I, I, I think that's really good insight in, into the comparison there. Um, so we're going to get into some uh, hot seat questions, essentially. It's called Rapid Fire. Uh, tonight's Rapid Fire is brought to you by New Glory Beer. Check them out online at newglorybeer.com, where you can get their shelter-in-place special of a $100 deposit on a keg. You can also order all beers online to be delivered to your home in California. All right, boys, here's the, here's the scenario. and Here's how this works. So we have 10 questions. You can choose to pass on two of them but you won't know the next question until you either pass or answer and you guys can answer it together. You can, one of you can answer it. Um, There's some questions in here who it's going to ask for, for a little bit of both. So uh, let's get started. So the first question, uh, worst article the other has written.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's gotta be one of the old men yells at the sky.
2: You bastard. You
3: <laughs> bastard.
2: Those are good pieces.
3: Some of them are great. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, you're just an old man. I'm the one that named the names. You the did. Piece. You did. Just, sometimes just a guy yelling at the clouds. And I love you, buddy.
2: It's a fair criticism. I do this. I do this piece sometimes as a filler while I just sort of rant for a while on different takes. So, yeah, fair enough. Well, I'll say that. Um, there have been a couple of historical pieces that Josh wrote that are a little longer than they probably needed to be. And I probably could have edited them down, but I'm a friend as well as his editor. And so I have been kind. Brilliant. <laughs>
3: I'm not even <laughs> hurt by it. My, my wife, my, <laughs> I've asked my wife to, to kind of like read them before they get to you. And she's like, I can't. Her eyes just <laughs> over. <laughs> I don't even know what these words mean. Stop it. <laughs>
0: It's called Tired Eyes. (laughs) Uh, Next
4: one is, uh, which uh, badge would you guys kiss? uh, El3's or Sunderland?
2: Wow. Well, I don't have any problem kissing Sunderland's badge, but I know he'll have a problem with that. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, fuck El3 forever, man. Uh, I will... I'm sorry if I'm cussing, uh, uh, but I... I hate L3 with a passion <laughs> and it's, it's dangerous because my wife's from Mexico and so is all of her family. So oh, match, God. match days with L3 in this, in, in this house and their house, typically we separate. I'll stay here and she goes over there with her family. And, and then the last couple of months, they get to come back and make fun of me. And I start getting texts from all of the family member because they all making fun of me. I mean, I have a massive tattoo on my chest for the U S men's national team. Like I'm not like, I'm serious I'm serious about this. Like, I, I it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's the real deal. So, yeah. But I know Josh feels the same way about, yeah, I think we're going to, I'll pass on that. I'm good. I, I don't need that one. I, I'm, I, that, fuck that. You fuck answered that. it. Yeah, I guess you, I did. That's not a pass.
3: <laughs> that's an answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, that, uh, those time must have been bad, right? When that was. The- <sighs> Well the Dos Acero was great when it was from, for us. It was that it was whenever Berhalter well actually no it was it was it was a Ber, it was Berhalter. When it was it was a warm up game. It didn't matter and then he put up uh don't get me started. See, this is you I'm I'm heating up over here, man.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you got? Uh I'll I'll kiss uh L three. Uh, before I touch a sunderland kit with my hands uh, I watched uh, Sunderland till I cry and I just thought it was hilarious you're such a bastard <laughs> I like have absolutely no sympathy with those fans because I've been a Newcastle supporter since 1982 right my my uncle worked over uh, as a as a, a wind surfboard sail designer it was you know wacky thing that a guy that smokes a lot of weed does for a living and he came back from England with a with a t-shirt for me. And I was six at the time. And it, it's in some sort of weird Geordie dialect. And it had a picture of a crow on it. And apparently it was a Newcastle and, and, you know, I fell in love with Newcastle. Um, that's my team, right? And that team picked me uh, as a kid. And so that, that runs deeper than anything for me.
0: All right. Next question is a U.S. men's national team question. Uh, Mary love and kill Right, so you can marry <laughs> one of them, kill one of them, and just make love to the other. <laughs> Arena, Klinsman, and oh. Bradley.
3: I'm going to pass. That's all, Dan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm making sweet, sweet love to Jurgen Klinsman. He, he strikes me as my type. He seems like a good soft man he wants to talk about feelings and he wants to try every he wants to try every position right like he does, he's not married to anything he's open to all ideas things are going to get real freaky with him you know maybe i'll be a left back one day and maybe i'll be the striker the next who knows it's it, I, whatever position i'm in it's the one i was supposed to be in that's not what he said Oh my so, god! so perfect on that um if okay if i gotta kill one it's definitely bruce arena i'm killing him that gas bag i'm so done with him and uh, i guess that leads me to marry bob bradley I I'm okay with that. I, I'd like a guy with a little more hair, but you know, I'll settle for him. He's a—he's a damn good coach. Man, you're passionate, Dan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sweet
2: passionate love to you. I never—this is—I did not think this was going to get here at this point. I, 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 you say I've got more alcohol on me before that.
1: <laughs> and no, and then—and what I love the most, Dan, is the uh, like the bad answers. You know, because it's like you throw in like a really good jab. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm not a big – I'm not a big – Clinsman I liked because he had a sense of like European – like there was like this romanticism of like, oh, Clinsman, he's the real deal. And it was just clear the longer he coached, the more it was like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, man. Like he just – like starting people in weird positions and constantly tinkering, (laughs) constant. It was just – it would drive you insane as a fan. It's like, what the fuck is he doing? And – Arena, obviously he's got a history that you can that you can lean on. I mean, he's he's obviously he's a, he's a good coach, but like yeah. it's to the point that he can't ever admit wrongdoing or anything. Like I can't do that anyway. Sorry, Josh is back.
3: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry that truck drove off with. <laughs> All
1: right, here we go. uh What is more reckless, an unprepared podcast or a bad written article? You know, I would say an unprepared no.
3: A poorly written article that kicks my ass, doesn't it? Look, we we've we've um we've winged it a couple of times on a few of our episodes. We're like, sometimes we'll have a, a sheet that we'll work on for days, and sometimes we're like, dude, should we should we record? What's the idea? It's like I don't know, so we just wing it. And, and they they sort of turn out to be okay because um, I think our chemistry at first was a little stiff, but I think after a while, Dan has actually become over the last year and a half like my best friend. Um and so, you know, we talk to each other every single day. So, we could probably uh, get a, we could probably get on to an episode and we could wing it and we'd be okay. But if I were to send a history article that wasn't <laughs> cited, that went on too long, now I know and he's going to shit on it.
2: Yeah, and I also think that you know, when it comes to podcasting a lot of times what people are there for is the back and forth, the interaction like there, you know, one of my favorite podcasts and guys that I model myself after like total soccer show. And, you know, I've talked to Daryl and, and uh, Taylor like off, you know, in DMS and stuff. And like, I love them as people and like what they talk about on their show. Yes. It's the soccer that I'm listening to, of course, but it's, it's more so like feeling like you're the third person in that conversation Uh and you know, well, for you guys, the fourth, but like just having that type of interaction is what people want. They, and, and sure. I mean, you could tell when we haven't spent as much time organizing as we probably should have. Um, you know, it might go too long, it might go too short, or it might just be a ton of laughing because that does happen too. Uh, but in the end, like what people are there for the podcast for is different than what you – and also, like I always feel like – like how often do you listen to a podcast that's two years old, but you might still read an article that's been online for that long that might still pop up in Google, and that would terrify me.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, next question. You guys can split this between the two of you.
3: Um, who is the most overrated and underrated player in America right now? I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the throw. I'm gonna say Chicharito. For damn cool. overrated, uh, he, overrated, overrated. Yeah, I agree. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere he goes, I he'll he'll score a handful of goals like early in the season, and he'll, like make it look like he earned the transfer. But in the long run, that contract ends up like they've overpaid for him. Um, you know, he, he didn't achieve, he didn't achieve legend status in, in England. Um, he, he scored bags of goals early on in Germany, but you know, they let him go as well. So, you know, I think that he was a phenom when he was young, but I think he's overrated now.
2: Uh, I'll also say I'll, I'll pick, uh, I'll pick another person famous for their national pl- team play, which would be, I think Brad Guzan is terribly overrated. Um, I never liked him as a goalkeeper. I always felt like he was always not nearly the keeper that Tim Howard was, and I don't. I I just don't think he's that good of a player. That's. I mean, I I am not the biggest MLS guy. I'm not going to lie to you, but like I'm. I'm just saying. I think. I think he's um, overrated. Under. Oh, he's he's overrated. Underrated. I've been thinking as we were talking about this, and again, not the biggest MLS guy. The guy that comes to mind in my life, he might have retired this season. So, you know, I could be about to reveal my ignorance. This was Chris Wondolowski? Um, did he retire? Okay, he's still. He, he, I'd say I think he's underrated. Uh, I feel like he's a player who, and I'll never forgive him for that miss for the national team uh, against Belgium. But, but the reality is, is he's probably the best scorer in MLS history has put together one of the best um, careers in MLS history. And do we really talk about him the way we talk about Landon Donovan or something? Uh, And I, for me, it's like, it's weird to me that he doesn't get more credit and I suspect it's because he plays for San Jose maybe. Um, But I also think that uh, he deserved, you uh, just put some respect in your mouth when you say his name.
3: Hey, I want to throw an underrated since, you
2: know, since we're going to do both. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. I can't help myself.
3: I want to throw in uh, Roro. I think you guys know I'm talking about. Rodrigo Lopez uh, Who's one of literally one of my all time, very favorite footballers. Uh, He used to play for Portland Timbers early on. Um, He scored some amazing spot kicks in international friendlies. Um, I just had the absolute pleasure of meeting him after a match once was one of the nicest guys you could ever meet and he spent a great deal of time playing in sacramento i don't know where he uh, did he where did he go he San stopped, he's back in sacramento and he's back in sacramento he's back and that's and, where he's staying yes <laughs> yeah. yeah and so uh, i have a i have a, a meeting i have a, a conference probably not going to happen but it's scheduled to happen in august in sacramento and i but first and when i first saw that thing pop up i checked to see if if uh what the republic schedule was because i I would go to a republic match to watch them but i mean just to watch roro take the field one more time if i could watch it live you know amazing player great guy
0: well if that does if that does happen and and there's a game uh
2: hit me up will do i i want josh to show up at his front door and knock on his front door like he was advising you to do
3: that's That's what i was that's what i (laughs) did
4: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an amazing guy, too. I mean, last year, um, he when you know he was still playing for uh, Veracruz, he, he came down to, to one of our games. It was closer to the end of the season. And, you know, he was taking pictures with everyone, too. I mean, I took a picture with him. And cool dude. You know, he wanted to start talking soccer, even though, you know, it have never met him before. So, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And, yeah, with the free kicks, yeah. I mean, we, we can attest to that uh, uh, during our championship year. We saw him score a really nice goal in our uh, semifinals of our playoffs. And yeah, Uh that was something else. So next question we have here. um, If uh, you guys could play for the men's national team or be on the bench for women's national team, what do you choose?
3: I'm on the bench, dude. One, I'm not that good. And secondly, let's say if I'm on the bench for the women's national team, I'm still going to get a ring, right? I'm still going to get to jump and hold that trophy at the end of the tournament because the women's team wins pound for pound. The greatest soccer team the U S has ever fielded.
2: Yeah, definitely. Josh is right. Wow. Bold of you. (laughs) (laughs) The ring, the ring argument is what got me. It's like, it's true. Like I'm going to go to the world cup. I'm going to be the favorite. I'm going to maybe I don't ever see the field, but at least I'll be I'll be that close to some of the greatest players in the world uh-huh. the entire time.
1: Not only do they actually go to the World Cup, they
2: win it. <laughs> and they seem like really solid <laughs> beyond that, like really nice, genuine people. Every time I see an interview with them, it's it's because like no matter how much of superstars that the the women's national team are, they still don't get the respect that they deserve. And so because of that, they're always used to being Underdogs in the sport, not necessarily like as far as on the field, but like in in like what they're getting paid and what they have to do to build their careers. Like they have to work three or four times as hard as men of similar quality, like in men's leagues.
0: The only crazy one that's uh, uh, that I've ever had any kind of a contact with was Hope Solo.
2: Oh well, I mean, she's a goalkeeper. What do you expect? Yeah, they're they're nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a damn good goalkeeper a damn good goalkeeper I heard a story that she had
0: like a shoulder issue and one arm was longer than the other but she was still making saves like coming across the body making saves like nothing bothered her I was like oh wow okay
1: it's a badass <laughs> alright guys name a city in the US that does not deserve a team
2: now when you say a team you're not talking about our level right we're talking MLS any level any level Ooh, like so, who we hate?
3: Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah pretty much.
2: <laughs> I know em. what
3: Josh is going to say. Seattle, fuck them! <laughs> I hope the whole city. I hope the whole city falls into the ocean, falls into the sound. <laughs> the Salish Sea swallows all of Seattle, and there's no soccer in the whole dang area.
2: Okay, so that's a good one, and I like it, but I will tell you the 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 place, and this comes from grassroots, which is I don't think Atlanta deserves a soccer team. Um if if you know the history of soccer in Atlanta, they've had clubs there playing for like since the 70s in the NASL, and the last club that was there were the Silverbacks, and the Silverbacks fought and fought and fought to stay alive, and they could not get anyone to come to their matches. And then Arthur Blank writes a blank check and buys the best players that he could buy, and now they care about soccer? Nah, man. Nah, you don't deserve that, and you don't don't deserve the championships. You don't deserve the accolades. You don't deserve Joseph Martinez. You don't deserve any of that stuff. Like, you're plastic as hell. You know they're going to come for your head, right? Well, I mean... They're, going, probably, they're coming for you. It's not we're not, really, her, we're not it's, that not far really, around. It's not my target audience, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they don't even know who I am. <laughs> this is, but but, but with, the, with the support of the Silverbacks, I'll be a champion. So there you go. It's true. Yep. <laughs> what club
0: in America has the best infrastructure?
2: I think, I mean, you've seen some of the things, and, and again, I, I can't speak. I'm, I'm not as involved as maybe as, as, I, as I could to answer the question more fairly, but some of the stuff that LAFC did rolling out, some of the stuff that they built, some of the investments they made in, uh, to me, that shows like insight beyond, uh, beyond some of the stuff that you've seen other clubs do. I mean, certainly you look at a club like Red Bulls, Red Bulls have an incredible like well of talent coming through. I mean, they they always have the next great player coming through their system all the time. And so that shows a level of organization that goes down to the talent development that is important and vital to the ongoing success of that club, even as a selling club and a club that could move players to other countries and stuff. But but when you look at um, the like LAFC, which again, talk about a club that's, brand new, uh, they, some of their facilities are just the world class and it's because of the money they had and the money that they, but, but spending that money wisely and building, um, a, a home, uh, practice facilities and all the rest of that, that come along with that. Like to me, that shows like an insight into what they're doing beyond, uh, just, you know, putting a soccer team on the field and hoping you make some money back when the league gets a bigger TV deal.
3: I'm, I'm going to go down to Southern California as well. Um, But I'm going to say the LA Galaxy. Um, When I look at infrastructure, I think of um, uh, bottom-up programming. Um, I know that the Developmental Academy is on the chopping block right now. It's a big discussion in the soccer world. But what LA uh, Galaxy have been able to do since their inception is grow their program constantly every year. They're bigger than they were the year before. They have a WPSL side that has won a championship. They have an under-17 side that has won a championship. They have a side in – I mean, they have a a squad that plays in almost every level of soccer on both the men's and the women's side of the sport. Um, And you see some of those players um, come through their their system and play for LA Galaxy, um, and they're often overshadowed by the signings that the LA Galaxy make. Um, But, you know, when you spend that much money on Ibrahimovic, you know, you've got to have a couple of guys on the pitch, um, that come through the academy program. Could I name them right now? No, I'd have to go look them up, but I'm, I'm guaranteeing that somewhere in that 18, uh, last year, uh, LA galaxy were able to field a couple of guys that came all the way through their youth ranks and, and ended up in the squad. Um, and you don't see that as much as I love the timbers, um, they're their program up here is is seemingly disjointed, and and I know uh, I might catch some shit from some of the guys. Like I said, there's a there's a certain community of coaching, um, but there's not a direct translation from the academy program to the to the second program to the third program to the to the to the top team to the first team, and uh, there's there's no um, women's direct women's youth funnel here that goes from an academy program to the thorns. Whereas in LA, um, even though they don't have that. That top level women's side, they have um, youth programs that are all very, very well connected. The coaches are all in the same uh, program and they, they all sort of draw from the same playbook.
4: Yeah, well, one of those players from the LA Galaxy Academy right now, too, like a homegrown player there is uh, Efrain Alvarez. He's one actually of the best jumping. In the world. Yeah, yeah. He, he's jumping between US and Mexico right now, too. So, yeah, that guy's got a lot of, lot of promising future, too. So, definitely some, they're doing something good there. <laughs> In the end, whose impact will have been bigger for pro soccer
3: in America? Carlos Vela or Landon Donovan? We've talked about that ourselves, haven't we?
2: I, I have a very strong opinion about Carlos Vela.
3: And you you also have a strong opinion about Landon Donovan, though. And, and <laughs> but, that is but, why
2: I asked the question. <laughs> 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 well, uh, here's the thing. So for soccer, I mean, I think it's Landon Donovan um, for, for several reasons. One, he was the best player well, one of the best players at MLS for a significant portion of time, and so helped build the league. Obviously, that's part of it. But then also his success with the U.S. men's national team and all of the interest that also drew for young kids coming out. I mean, does does Christian Pulisic exist if it's not for Landon Donovan? I don't know. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But there, how many people are inspired by Landon Donovan? And if Carlos Vela's inspired people in Mexico, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, I don't know of anyone. I don't know if you know Danny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't have anything. It's Mexico. I have everything. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't like the dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like his haircut. <laughs> he's
3: he's an incredibly gifted player. Uh, oh I mean, yeah. If you if you could remove his presence from the the Mexican national team, and you could just view him through the spectrum of footballer. He's an incredibly talented footballer. Um, I would love to have him on any team that I root for, except for I don't root for LAFC. So then I I don't I don't care for him. But as far as impact goes, how does that how does that affect soccer? Um, Landon Donovan showed American kids how far you could get. Right at a very pivotal moment for the league that he played in. Instead of struggling in a second division team in Scandinavia, um, or sitting on the bench for a Bundesliga side, um, he decided to stay here uh, ag- against a, a lot of what you know, against a lot of people's judgments, and he stayed in the United States. Um, I think he he did travel abroad a little bit, right? But he did, for the most part, spend his entire career in Major League Soccer and showed just how high. You you can get what you can accomplish if you really fight hard and you and you play your heart out. Again, I'm not an LA Galaxy fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I recognize what a good system they run down there. And so when he switched from San Jose to Los Angeles, I think that put him in a position where they were always signing really good players to play beside him, and that took a lot of pressure off of him and allowed him to succeed um, and and really showcase his skills as an American soccer player. And that really showed a lot of kids who were watching the sport at the time, you know, this is what you could be.
1: Nice. All right, guys, last question in the rapid fire. What four players from the past or present would you start a franchise with? It's really interesting you ask this because I just sort of started asking other people
3: this. We're going to run a series of articles that are not dissimilar to this question. Um, So I'm in, and I was just thinking about this uh, because Dan and I are going to, I think we're going to, we're going to run through this at some point in our own podcast. Um, my first player I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up top, it's going to be Alan Shearer at, at striker. I think the man can create opportunity on his own. He's an incredible striker. He can finish from any angle. Um, and he does not, he refuse, refuses to get pushed around by uh, defenders. So uh, I'll have uh, Alan Shearer from Newcastle United. Um, I'll have Diego Valeri. Um, I know it sounds like a homer pick because uh, I'm a Timbers fan but Diego Valeri is one of the most gifted midfielders I have ever had the pleasure of watching uh, live. So Diego Valeri, uh, and then I would probably start to look for uh, probably a a defender, Mats Hummels. I would would pick a really stable defender from the Bundesliga, someone who can take a pounding. And uh, so there's my spine from from top to bottom, and then goalkeeper, I'll just pick a goalkeeper. I'd like to go winger, but I'll, I'll pick a goalkeeper. Um, I'll go with another Newcastle player. I'm going to go with Shay Given. Um, Shay Given was an incredibly talented keeper. Um, and I think for a very long time, saved Newcastle from what looked like it could have been a, a devastating loss, but instead put up a lot of amazing saves. Uh, Shea Given played for a long time, very sturdy goalkeeper. And I think that he would have done well in any other Premier League team. He just happened to play uh, for Newcastle.
2: Those are my four. Okay, so he's way more developed than I am. You know, just to ask the question. I had like this butthole clenching moment of like, oh shit, I got to do this. Um, I- I'll tell you that if I'm picking, if I'm picking players that I love, I again because I came to soccer late, my history with soccer is just not as deep as as Josh's is, and so. Uh, even watching other leagues. But I'll tell you that if I'm starting a club, I'm always picking players that are my favorites and aren't necessarily the best. And if that's the case, um, I'm going to go back to like 2008 Manchester United and it's going to be Rio Ferdinand, Paul Scholes, Wayne Rooney. And I, I... I, and then I'll break from that and offer my favorite US men's national team and the backbone of any club which is Deuce, and I'll take Clinton Dempsey because he'll play right in there with them to me those players have grit and passion and I'll take that over all of your special your special moves and your dancing around and your footwork and all the Ronaldo's and all that stuff like I'll pass on all of that I want guys out there that look like me and that play with all the heart in the world and at the the end of the day i'll take whatever we get with them fair
0: enough fair enough well well done boys we made it through the uh the rapid fire i think you guys did very well on that uh we have two more questions for what we call last call so uh danny go ahead so
2: guys what what should we look forward to coming from you guys uh well if you're looking for what's coming from us uh we've got on on the docket right now, tons of podcasts. I mean, we're producing a lot of podcasts, uh, lots of interviews. Uh, we had just started getting into a bunch of Nisa interviews. I don't know if y'all familiar with Nisa and all the things that are going on that exciting league, and uh, so that's been kind of on hold right now. But we're we're we've got a lot of a lot of clubs that because they're on hold are willing to talk to us, and so we're getting a lot of interviews done on that. Um, we're doing a bunch of media reviews so are reviewing movies, reviewing TV shows that are, uh, we did the English game on our show, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, we're doing a lot of different things with that uh, on the site. Josh has some really creative ideas that I'll let him talk about, but we're um, for us, it's about continuing to move the ball forward. One of the cool things that you'll see just in the next couple of months out of us is we're working on a Uh, article and some history behind uh, an old club and doing a kit release at the same time that we're we're partnering with the kit manufacturer we're going to be producing and it's going to be really exciting and fun. And I don't want to get too deep in that because it's still in the works, but it's being designed actively right now. Uh, It's one of the things that we love to do to sort of uh, put light on the history of the American game because a lot of times people miss that and don't understand that soccer has been played in this country almost as long as it's been played everywhere else because we're a nation of immigrants and those immigrants brought the sport with them and so we we're we're doing some stuff with that but uh josh why don't you tell them about the idea you're working on with uh that was connected to what we just did
3: yeah well i've got three things that i've been working on um i'll say actively working on kind of like a fantasy uh, pick you know 10 plus one so it's not dissimilar to your you know build your four um but we're doing hey I've reached out to coaches, owners, players, other, um, lower league soccer personalities, former writers from uh protagonist. Um, and I say, okay, give me your, pick your formation, whatever formation you want. If you want to play with two defenders and you want to you know, overload your midfield and then pick, you know, pick a striker, however you want to pick your favorite or best 10 and then plug yourself in. So you're a player manager. Um, and so it's 10 plus one. I, I haven't come up with a clever name. That's something I need to do. I, I like a good, clever name, <laughs> but uh, so far I've got, I've got 10 responses in just uh, 48 hours from players, coaches, whatever, because it's like, like Dan said, there's not much else going on. And if you ask a guy, well, who are your, who are your favorite players of all time? He's going to give you a list. And so, uh, I'm going to create a, a way to to present that in a, in a one one page graphic, it's not a whole lot of, of scrolling or reading going on. Just something you can read, you can look at and digest uh, really quick. Um, and then, um, in light of the the pandemic, the coronavirus shutdown for a lot of businesses, we have run for the last two years um, something called uh, Spotlight. And so we spotlight uh, a team. Doesn't matter what league they're in, if they're a lower league team in the in the U.S. soccer, uh, you know, we ask them a series of questions and ask them for photos and what they do and, and how they run their club. We're still doing those, but we're we've started something called business spotlight. So the the organizations like Roughneck Scarves. I'm going to reach out to them this week. As a matter of fact, Roughneck Scarves. You know what what do they do to serve lower league soccer? I know that they are the official uh, scarf makers for most major league soccer, if not if not contracted with the whole league. Um, I have a few of them you know, in my office. But, you know, what do you do to help grassroots soccer? What teams have you worked with? Do you do design? Do you, do you, what other services do you provide? If you can't meet the quantity that they, that they can pay for, do you, you know, what else can you do for them? So those are some of the questions that I asked. We've got a couple kit makers, you know, your non-traditional kit makers, like, uh, like Scotty soccer and, and, uh, Icarus, Um, we asked them a series of questions like that as well. So we'll have some business spotlights. And then thirdly, um, and not a whole lot of work on on our side, but um, we've decided to um, ante up a little bit of cash out of pocket to help sponsor the Lower League E-Cup. And the Lower League E-Cup was, uh, was, uh, we have an article on our our website about it, Uh, it goes into greater detail than I could even possibly uh, try to pick from my own brain right now but um it was a response to knowing that the MPSL was shut down and then watching all these other leagues get shut down and and uh the guy that started it kind of looked at said well you know what can we do to help these teams still stay relevant because when there's no matches and there's so then there's no social media these teams don't have anything to do so he, he created this bracket and i think he thought he was just gonna have 36 teams and I think it's well over what, 124 or something like was it. massive. It became Xbox and, and PS four. He's in, he is in discussion right now. I was texting with him last night. He's in discussion right now with EA sports about, um, what level of prizes can he give out because they have proprietary rights to everything that is, uh, FIFA. So he, he's got to make sure that he works with EA sports and, and the game, uh, to, to not step on toe. So, uh, but, Early on, we decided to throw a hundred bucks at that and sponsor that. So it's not our baby, but we backed it right away. And the, you know, some of the multimedia that we work with.
4: Yeah, that's that's awesome too. Um, so, how can uh, people find you guys and you know perhaps get involved with uh, Protagonist, both you know, podcast
2: and site? Uh, so let's do a quick rundown. Uh, thanks for putting. I don't know why I didn't have this ready. So obviously, uh, ProtagonistSoccer.com is the website. Uh, that's all things protagonists. Uh, use even, even our, uh, even our podcast sometimes get mentioned on there. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, as we've mentioned before, uh, Protagonist USA is what we are at Protagonist USA on Twitter, uh, Protagonist Soccer on Facebook. Don't expect updates on Facebook. I'm not 50. I don't want to post about politics, so I don't use Facebook very much. It's a placeholder more than anything else. Um, Those are the primary ways. If you want to check us out on our podcast handle, that's protagonist pods. That's actually run by Josh. Josh does 90, 90, 95% of the posting on there. I tend to run the protagonist USA handle. Um, And obviously if you're looking for our, our own handles, I'm at soccer barista. That's what I am on Twitter. Uh, I will won't lie to you. I do get political there sometimes, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind to most things. I also post pictures of my four-year-old. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm balancing it out. I'm keeping it real. Josh, what, what's your handle? It didn't come to mind off the top of my head. I think it's
3: Joshua R. Duder. Uh, oh, how original?
2: Pretty, well, you know,
3: I think a long time ago, I, I thought I was going to be some sort of soccer brain. And my original handle was like, was it like soccer thinker or some stupid shit? <laughs> wasn't, I don't even can remember. And like, you know, when you don't put out as much content as maybe Grant Wall or, you know, like how can you hold yourself up to being <laughs> some sort of, yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or like the armchair analyst, like g- guys that genuinely put out high quality, consistent content, regardless of how you feel about that content, they're very, they, they're consistent um, and, and uh, they get paid the big bucks to do it or did get paid the big bucks to do it. Not a jab, just a reality. Uh, So you can find me, Joshua R. Duder uh, on Twitter. I'm a little less political, but I lean lean left. And so you'll often see me retweet or like things that are liberal or liberal minded. But I I tend to not let my personal politics or my personal belief in, in the political system leak into my writing. Uh, and I don't think I, I make mention of it very much um, on our podcast as well. I, I I stay neutral. I work for a chamber of commerce, so uh, I you know most of the small business owners are conservative, and I, I wouldn't say batshit crazy conservative, but they lean right, and so I just tend to keep my politics a little more to myself, just for professional reasons.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for taking the time to join us today. Um, we wish you the best of luck with what's next and we hope to chat with you guys soon. Awesome. Thanks for having us on. Oh man. Right. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Oh, no worries. gentlemen. Cheers. Thanks. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's guest was brought to you by the Makuni Dreamline. Makuni is offering $15 off your order of a platter and has made it easy with the Makuni app. Please make sure to pre-order, stay in your car when you arrive and they will deliver your meal to you in your car. Visit them today at akunisushi.com or better yet, download their app available on the App Store or Google Play. Don't forget that we can be found on all social media platforms. If you want to take a look on Facebook, you can find us on our own Facebook page, Sacktown SC Podcast. We can be found on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Sacktown FC. And we can...
2: whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, 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 John. We cannot forget about our amazing partners, California Storm. Make sure you guys check them out on their website at calstormsoccer.com. Um, also check them out on IG and Twitter at CalStormSoccer and on Facebook at California Storm.
4: Yeah, so if you guys are on Twitch looking for our account, uh, we can be found under Sactown FC. If you want to play against me or John, um, my Xbox gamer tag is Sacktown for John. He's on PlayStation. His gamer tag is Sacktown underscore FC. So send us a message. Let us know if you want to play against then. Hey, we could even probably do a live Twitch if you don't mind. And you know, we could broadcast our game as well. So yeah, let us know. And you know, we're ready to play a game anytime.
0: And just make sure you're not that guy who does rage quitting, because if you get whooped by us, we're still going to talk trash. And then if you bring us, we're still going to talk trash, so don't rage quit. Own it. If you're getting taking that L, we'll we'll be as grace graceful as we can be with our L's. So just remember that. Um, we also have our own website. A lot of you have probably already seen and heard about it. Um, it's Sacktownfc.com. Here you can learn about how the show came together. You can un- get a hold of us from the contact bar. We also now have our uh, Soccer's Pulse site or section for everything that Seth uh, will be putting on uh, as it relates to upcoming events, news, information around the globe for soccer, putting that putting that finger on the pulse of soccer, and also the opportunity to join our squadron, which is our form of the supporters group. On the As a member of the squadron, you would get access to our Slack channel, entered into a lottery for Makuni or Chondo's Tacos or even a New Glory function with us and have insight and say on some of our new swag that we'll be releasing with the greatest logo in all of podcasting. So check us out at sacktownsc.com. I think that was a rather fun conversation tonight, gentlemen, and I hope you guys were able to enjoy it as much as I did. I think there were some good things that we, we learned and got, took away from our conversation with Josh. And Dan, what do you guys think? Yeah,
4: I, I agree. I mean, really interesting conversation. I mean, uh, I think I'm looking at the MPSL cancelling now on a different viewpoint. And it definitely changed, you know, the way I understand, you know, why they did what they did. And, you know, now it, it makes total sense why why they would do that.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Uh, they were very knowledgeable. I loved, you know, Dan's answers. He, he backed up everything, uh, even things he wasn't sure of. He just, you know, threw his... Uh, a great opinion on there. I loved how they stayed positive on, you know, teams ending, but teams always come back and start. So it actually did provide a lot of hope uh, for people that are worried, uh, you know, about, you know, teams possibly going under.
4: And I would also add, you know, I also liked, you know, how much they're investing in the sport. Um, that's really amazing on on some of the things that they're doing with
0: uh, the investments. But yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. I think with their knowledge, it was really good to hear what they had to say. It added a little bit of more value to what we'd talked about recently with the league folding and and gave us some better insight than the information that we'd provided. So uh, Josh and Dan, if you listen to this, thank you so much for for giving us that extra information. And we'll do everything we can to uh, get you in contact with uh, our clubs here in Davis and Sacramento. So that's all we have for today. Thanks to Dan Vaughn and Josh Duder from Protagonist Soccer for joining us. And to you, the listener, for joining us. And make sure you subscribe and give us some positive comments so we know what we are doing well. We listen to every episode. We play it back. Um, we air check ourselves. So it would be nice to have uh, people acknowledging or giving us some insight. So from us here at Saccon FC, cheers, everybody.
3: Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Bye, everyone. Thank you.